Okay, good morning. Uh, my topic this morning comes from the book of Colossians, so if you want to take your Bibles and open to the book of Colossians, uh, chapter uh, 4, starting with verse 2 through 6, and that's where we're going to start, but I'm going to have you go back and forth in a couple of different verse, uh, verses in the Bible as well, too. So, um, <clears throat> You know, there's one thing that all of us have been given, and that is time. We've all been given just a certain amount of time on this earth. God knows the number of our days. God knows what's in store for us. Uh, he's planned it out. And I, I remember, do, do any of you remember the year 1965? In 1965, there was a group called the Birds from England. And they had a number one single that year that was called Turn, Turn, Turn. To everything there is a season. Do you all remember that? There is a season, turn, 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 la, la. And I don't know the rest of the words. But um, the, actually the words for that song were written in 1959, uh, six years earlier by Pete Seeger. But he plagiarized them. He stole the words from the King James Bible. The King James Bible, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you want to switch there, you can take a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And he basically took the words from that King James Bible, put it to music, and people started hearing that all over the world, starting in 1965 and, and so forth. But uh, let's take a, a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I want to read it to you because it has to do with time. And time is what we've been given. It's a gift from God. There is an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth. Amen. And a time to die. A time to plant. And a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill. And a time to heal. A time to tear down. And a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. Time. We've only been given enough time, and we need to redeem the time. That's the title of this morning's Message. That's what we're going to be talking about. How do we redeem the time? We all have 24 hours in a day, right? Nobody's got 26. We all have been given the same amount of time. We need to uh, prioritize the time that we have. We need to make the best choices for the time that we have. We need to, uh, because we only have a limited amount of time in which to make a difference for Christ in this world. Amen. Now, another thing about me is I'm a Star Trek fan. Uh, all things Star Trek, old, new, 
and rebooted and everything. But there was a, a next generation uh, episode that was called The Inner Light. And in this uh, Inner Light episode, uh, Captain Picard was touched by an alien probe and he was knocked unconscious on the bridge of the Enterprise. And in about the stress, uh, space of 15 minutes, in his mind, he lived an entire life on an alien planet. He had a wife, he had children, he had grandkids. And this alien world was being destroyed. It was going to be gone. And so the aliens had sent this probe off into the, the cosmos to, re, to remind people of their civilization, that it wouldn't <laughs> die. So anyway, and I, I said all that because at the very end, uh, before the launch goes off, Captain, Kirk, or Captain Picard talks to his daughter, Maribor, and he says this to her. Maribor, seize the time. Live now. Make now always the most precious time. Now will never come again. Now is the time. We need to redeem the time. We need to make the most of every opportunity. And uh, that's what Colossians chapter 4 is talking about. How can we make the most of every opportunity? And I think from that, I, I want to show you three things that will help us to redeem our time, to make the most of every opportunity. So if you open your Bibles back up to Colossians, let's take a moment just to read through Colossians 4, 2 through 6, and keep your uh, fingers there. It says... Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. There it is. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for giving us your word. We pray, Lord, that you will superintend this time, Lord, that you will give us what we need to hear, Lord. Speak to us through your word, Lord. Uh, bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first idea, uh, the first way that we redeem our time that we've been given is that we need to be devoted to prayer, amen? We need to be persistent, watchful, and ever alert in prayer. And the verb, therefore, being devoted is in the imperative tense. And that means it's a command. It's not an option. It's not something that well, maybe if you feel like doing it, you should pray. It's something that we are commanded to do on a regular basis, persistently, all the time. And, and I think as we look in our world today, um, I don't think we see persistent, devoted prayer. Uh, I was reading through um, Psalms, and uh, Psalm 80, verse 4, says this, O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with the prayer of your people? 
um, you know, I've been reading through the Bible for years, and, and this was where we were this week, and I thought, Lord, are you angry with our prayers? And, and the children of Israel back then were, were following the wrong ways. They were doing their own thing, and, and yet they would still come back and pray these lofty prayers, and, and, and they had no substance. They, they, weren't, they weren't really heartfelt prayers. They were just prayers that were just given without a, a, a thought. And those kinds of prayers, God, God is angry with. He doesn't want that kind. He wants a, a broken and contrite heart. He wants us to be uh, persistent in our prayer. We need to do it day in and day out. We make, need to make the most of every opportunity. Amen? That's, that's what the kind of prayer that he's talking about being devoted in. And sometimes we tend to look at prayer as, as something that we do when everything else fails. You know, but we've lost, we, we've done as much as we can do, but then we decide, well, hey, maybe I better pray. You know, we, we've been there. That shouldn't be the way we do it, but, but, but we do. Or, or sometimes we think, well, there's no reason to pray. It's hopeless. I, I, I can't pray. This is too much for me. There, there's no way that God is going to take this and make something good out of it. It's, it's a done deal. And, and so sometimes we, we, we don't pray because of those reasons. We, we, uh, we don't think it's going to make a difference. And I, I suggest to you that it will make a difference. I've got a story for you about a man named Lloyd Decker who went through something uh, very difficult and yet God was there, even though he didn't want to pray about it. Let me, let me share it with you. The diagnosis didn't sink in at first. Visual acuity, 2400. Macular degeneration. Retinal vein occlusion. Legally blind. The specialists at the VA hospital told me nothing more could be done. I let my wife Irma guide me out to our car. As she got behind the wheel, the seriousness of my situation started to hit me. Would I ever drive again? Never read a book? That night I lay awake worrying. I had started to write a book after I retired from my career as an engineer. Would I have to give it up because I couldn't see well enough to read my computer screen? The next morning I sat at the breakfast table staring gloomily out the backyard. The world looked distorted, as if I were viewing it through dark blue water. The straight iron railing on the deck was a snake shimmying in midair. The big oak tree had, with a trunk shaped like an S, with its middle section erased. Irma took my hand. Remember what you tell people to do if they're in a jam, she asked. My answer was automatic. When you're in trouble, pray. But I didn't pray. What was the use? If medical experts said nothing could be done, what could I hope for, even with prayer? As the days passed, I fell deeper in despair. Our children, Bruce and Linda, called to cheer me up. And when they put the grandchildren on the phone, I kept thinking about how I would never see their faces again. Irma acted as if things hadn't really changed. But instead of enjoying retirement, she was working harder than ever taking care of me. Then a relative gave me the phone number for Mike Cordero, a state caseworker for the blind. 
I gave him a call, not expecting much. We made an appointment. I'm looking forward to meeting you, Mike said cheerfully. We have a lot of work to do. He seemed just as upbeat when he showed up the following Monday, sporting a jaunty pair of sunglasses. Mike broke the ice, chatting about his wife, their kids, and how he'd taken them sailing over the weekend. Why shouldn't he be happy, I thought resentfully. His life is going just fine. Now, Mike said, pulling a form out of, brief, out of his briefcase, let me find out about you. He took off his sunglasses, brought the form an inch from his face, and read the first question. He's blind too. The dark glasses should have tipped me off, but I'd been too busy feeling sorry for myself to give them much thought. Even though Mike was disabled, he didn't act that way when it came to living his life. Over the next few days, Mike set me up with audiobooks, news broadcasts, and software for my computer that enlarged letters up to 16 times their original size. Peering at the screen, I typed in a few words. I can read again, I exulted. Soon I was back at work on my book. At no cost, the state furnished, through my friend Mike, all the technology that I needed. One morning, I turned off the magnifying system by accident. I was about to reactivate it when I glanced at the computer screen. The words jumped at me. I could make them out, even though the type was regular size. Tests showed that the visual acuity in my right eye had improved dramatically to a near perfect 2050. The doctor was puzzled. Nothing in the structure of your eye has changed, he said. There isn't any medical reason why you should be able to see all of a sudden. Yet you can. There's no doubt about it. I told Irma, expecting her to be as stunned as I am. How did this happen, I marveled. I'm ashamed to admit it, but I haven't even been praying. Irma smiled, looking happy but not surprised. Maybe you haven't been praying, but other people have. It turned out that our son Bruce had asked the members of his church in New Hampshire to pray for me whenever they could at services, meetings, classes, and they had prayed for months. As soon as I could, I was going to visit my son. I wanted to thank him and his friends for their prayers. First, though, I had to thank God for restoring what was most important, my belief in the power of prayer. And more than that, in God's power. When I thought there was no hope, he brought Mike Codero and the folks at my son's church into my life to show me that there always is the power of prayer. You know, this church does a good job of prayer. We've already talked about that today, the, the, the prayer cards. I know every morning, uh, Monday morning, I get up and my wife has typed out the list of prayer requests, and I get out the, uh, um, what's that called, directory, so I can look at faces, you know, because I don't remember all the faces, and I, and I pray for each one of those names, and I know you do too, you take the time, that's what this is talking about, to be devoted in prayer, it makes a difference, even in the life of somebody who didn't think prayer, you know, he knew prayer was important, but he kind of lost it because he was so wrapped up in 
feeling sorry for himself. He put his eyes on the trouble instead of the power that God has for it. That's being devoted in prayer. Be devoted in prayer. We sometimes look at prayer as a way to get something from God. Praise God that he was healed. Amen? Does that happen all the time? No, it doesn't. But that doesn't mean we lose the belief in the power of prayer and the power of God in the midst of, of things that seem impossible to us. You know, about 20 years ago, back in 1994, my wife was having serious physical issues that, that we didn't know exactly what they were. She was tired. She was exhausted. She, she wasn't able to do a full 20-hour job, work, uh, 20 hours at work. And um, uh, we went to the doctor and we got the diagnosis of lupus and fibromyalgia. And it was something that there's no cure for. We can manage the symptoms, but we just have to learn to live with it. I didn't want to hear that. I was a pastor. I was a believer. God, you can heal. I was a Pentecostal. God heals. And I knew that. But he didn't heal. And what he led us to was a book that was called Embracing the Wolf. And the word lupus means wolf in Latin. And, and it was a story of a woman that, that finally came to terms with that, embraced it, and realized what she could do and not what she couldn't do anymore. And sometimes that's what God does with us. He says, wait. He doesn't give us the answer. He's, he'll say no. He'll say yes. And he says, wait. Because we're going to be healed completely one of these days. Everything is going to be perfect. But right now, some of those things are on hold. And we need to wait. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't, has lost his power. God is still powerful. I, you know, when, when we were given that diagnosis, lupus, the lifespan was five to ten years. It's been more than 20. And we're thinking it's going to be 20 more. Because God is at work in the midst of all of this. God is making the difference in our lives. And so even when we have to deal with those physical issues that God says, wait, not yet, we, we need to continue to, to trust him. And, and don't be weary. Don't give up. You know, the Living Bible puts that verse that way. Don't be weary in prayer. Keep at it. We need to make it a daily routine. Psalm 88, um, there it is, 88.13 uh, says this. Okay, there it is. But Lord, I have cried out to you for help, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. I don't know about you, but the morning time is a great time for me to get up, read the Bible, pray, spend time with the Lord. That's the time... That works for me. But you need to find the time that works for you. Every day. All the days. We need to be praying. We need to be a regular daily part of our lives. Amen? That's what prayer should be. And then back in, in verse uh, 2 it says. Keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. 
to be thankful in the midst of, of everything. Even when it doesn't get answered the way we'd like it to, we need to be thankful. Thank God for what he has given us. And realize that, that you know, God is for us. God gives us things all the time. Um, I, I want you to turn to the book of 2 Kings. And there's a story about the Elisha, the prophet Elisha. He, he was being uh, persecuted by the Arameans. And, and they sent an army out to capture him. And he and his uh, uh, servant were talking. And, and I, Elisha knew this is all going to work out. God's, gonna, God's in control. He's going to take us through this time. And in verse 16, he says, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then he says to Elisha prayed, and he said, O oh Lord, I pray, open his eyes, his servant, so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When we get into those difficult times, when we're praying for situations to change, and we're praying for for things to get better, when we're praying for a, a difference in our life, remember that, that those angels are all around us. They're there encouraging us so that we can move forward. Be devoted in prayer. That's the first step in redeeming the time. Be devoted in prayer. And then the second step, I want to go all the way down to the uh, verse 5 in Colossians and, and take a look at the second step. The third step is in three different verses. Okay, now I've got to find it again. There it is. <clears throat> and it says, Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. And this is where I get the title of, the, of this um, sermon this morning, Redeeming the Time. Making the most of, the, of every opportunity. Uh, is, is where that, that comes in. Um, in the King James, it says, redeeming the time. And in the Greek, verse 5 says, in wisdom walk ye towards the ones outside, the time redeeming. Now, we need to conduct ourselves with wisdom. Uh, the word for walk is peripateo, and it talks about our daily life, everything about our daily life, everything that comes into it, how we... Um, make decisions about what we do each day. That's our peripateo. That's our walk, our conversation. In other translations, it, it talks about it that way. Everything that we do from the moment we get up to the time we go to bed, that's our, our walk. And our walk has to be filled with wisdom. Filled with wisdom. There's a whole section of theology that, that's called peripatology. It's not a big theology section, but, uh, and it's not in every theology book, but uh, it's talking about the study of the Christian's walk, of how we walk day by day. And how we conduct our daily life is really important to God. He says it in the imperative again. It's, it's a verb that's a command, that we're to walk in wisdom. There's no choice. We need to have that wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives 
liberally. God will give you the wisdom that you need when we're devoted to prayer, we're walking in the Lord, we're walking in wisdom. God will give us what we need. Packer, J.I. Packer says this of wisdom. Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal whether together with the surest means of attaining it. I don't know about you, but the, the, the harder choices in my life is not to choose between what's good and what's bad. But it's to choose between what's good and what's best. Because we don't always know. That's why we need wisdom. There, there are some times that there could be good things for us to do, but we need to say no. Uh, that's, a, that's a difficult subject, isn't it, for some of us? How do we say no? I've been talking with my daughter about that. How do you say no? That she wants to do everything. She wants to do everything, and she does. But there are some times that you just have to say, no, that's, that's not the best for me at this time. But we all make that decision, don't we? You've had to make that decision, to make the best decision, not just something that's good. And so redeeming the time, making the most of the opportunity, uh, it's, it's that idea of making the best decision, not just something that's good, but something that's the best. And then uh, the, the word for redeeming the time there, in the Greek it talks about buying something from the marketplace. Any of you go to the market? Okay. Uh, now, if you go to the market and you see two things that are exactly the same, one of them's $10 and the other's one. Which one do you buy? Which one? $10? Because she wants the best. Others of you said $1 because I want the best buy. You know, and, and that's the tension there, too. Because both, uh, both are right, you know. I'm, I come down on the $1 side, you know, because we've always been poor. Uh, <laughs> we didn't always have enough. When we were going through seminary and uh, I, I was working part-time as a substitute teacher, we didn't have a, a lot of money. And so I remember Mary Beth looking at all the ads and making sure she found the best price for ground beef and whatever it was that we needed, and we'd go to that store and buy it. You guys are there, right? You're with me? That's what we do. We want the best buy. That's redeeming the time. We, we want to use wisdom. We think about what we're doing. You know, other times, my brother-in-law is the kind of guy that says, I want the best car. So he reads consumer reports, and he looks at all the things, and he finds out what the best car is. He's, he's uh, an astronomer. He likes to look at the stars, and he's looking at the Perseids the last couple of days. I don't know if any of you have seen some of those, but uh, you can go out on one of these nights, and you can see the, um, the, the Perseids uh, meteor shower come through. Well, he wants the best telescope, and so he went online and found the very best telescope for viewing everything and paid thousands of dollars to get the very best one. You know, wasn't enough for just a pair of binoculars. <laughs> you got to get the best one. But those are the kinds of issues that we have that, that we, want, 
We want to redeem the time. We want to get the best buy on either side of that. That's, that's the idea behind that of making the most of every opportunity. And finally, in, in the same idea of walking in wisdom, I want you to turn to Romans 12, uh, starting with verse 14. Uh, have, have any of you ever had a problem with people? Yeah, just a few. <laughs> I think we all have. That, that, that there are times when, when people uh, can, can rub us the wrong way or we, we have problems with them. And those are the ones that it's hard to walk in wisdom with. It's, it's hard to, to try and make the right choice and make the right decision and take the best route. In Romans 12, it talks about when uh, those people are persecuting and, and what does he tell us to do? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those that rejoice. Weep with those who weep. When we're, when we're out in the world and we see somebody having a hard time, we need to weep with them. Uh, my wife was showing me this video last night of a guy um, and I don't know which city he was in he had these blinders on and he was standing in the middle of the, the, the uh, sidewalk Birmingham. with a, Birmingham, Alabama and, and with a sign that said give me a hug and he was waiting for people to give him a hug I don't know if any of you saw that and little you know Little old ladies, little kids would come up and grab him and give him a hug and he'd say, God bless you. And, and he just did that all day long uh, just to show that there's a different way of dealing with people. You know, bless those. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those, with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If we want to walk in wisdom, that's the kind of choices that we need to make in, as we walk through our life. When we see needs, when we see people hurting, we need to make the choice of being there for them, rejoicing with them, weeping with them, we need to step out of our comfort zone and we need to redeem the time. We need to make the best choice of every opportunity that we're given. Amen? Okay, then the third point that I wanted to bring out of this passage, and in order to redeem the time that we have been given, we need to deal with how we speak to others. Our speech is important. And three places in this passage 
uh, Paul talks about the importance of speech. In, in verse 3, whoops, I lost it again. Hold on. In verse 3, Paul says, pray at the same time for us as well that God would open a door to us for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. You know, um, Paul was in prison when he wrote the book of Colossians. Uh, some people believe that it was the Roman imprisonment. It could be one of the other imprisonments. But he was in prison. And, and he was praying, he was asking for us to be devoted in prayer, to pray for him, that an open door. Not just for him, but for us too. That there are open doors for us. That, that there are opportunities for us that will come up if we just listen to the Lord. Uh, let me tell you an example. Uh, a, a lady had been um, walking down the street and she felt impressed by God. To, to, she felt God was telling her, go inside that store, stand on your head, and then come out. And she said, God, what? And so she said, okay. So she walks in the store. She's able to do this, I take it. you know. So she stands on her head. And then sits there. The clerk at the store starts crying. And he said, I had just prayed to God that God, if you're real, have somebody come in off the street and stand on their head and tell me about you. And so she led him to Christ. And, and said, I'm going to do whatever God tells me to do. That, that's an amazing thing. That was an open door. Yeah. And, and so sometimes God may ask us to do some kind of strange things, to open the doors, to speak forth the mystery of Christ. But we need to be willing to have the ability to say what we need to say. Now, if she didn't know how to lead somebody to Christ, where would she be? You know, there's this great opportunity, and, and, but she knew how to do that. She had gracious speech. She was able to speak the truth clearly. And that's what Paul is, is asking for, that we need to have that. We need to have those open doors. We need to see those open doors, and we need to be willing to uh, present Christ as we ought to. Uh, and then in verse 6, if you look down to verse 6, it says, Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. The Living Bible says it, Let your conversation be gracious as well as sensible. It needs to make sense. Sometimes we Christians don't make a lot of sense. We need to make sure that we're making sense. That we're, we're saying things with grace. Not just, um, you know, anyway. That, that takes some reading. That takes some studying. That takes some time in, in the word of God. Because it's what God 
puts into you that's going to come out. If you don't put this word inside you, your, your speech is not going to be right. You've got to have the word of God in you for it to come out of you. And so part of what this is talking about, having gracious speech, is that we, we need to know how to speak. And, and one of the words in, in this uh, section is, uh, um, well, one of the words it brings out is apologia. There's a whole uh, series called apologetic uh, in theology that is, um, let, me, let me tell you what it is. It's derived from the Greek word apologia, which means to make a defense. It has come to mean defense of the faith. Apologetics covers many areas. Who Jesus is, the reliability of the Bible, refuting cults, biblical evidences in the history of and archaeology, answering objections, etc. In short, it deals with giving reasons for Christianity being the true religion. That's what apologetics is. We need to have the knowledge. And how do you get that knowledge? Well, you could go to that grace group that's going to meet here on Wednesday and learn from Roger and Debbie about how to share your faith. Or you could get together in your own grace group and learn. Um, we have a, a meeting on every other Thursday with my daughters and, and uh, some of their friends, and we're going through a book called, what's it called? Scripture Alone by R.C. Sproul, and boy, it's really deep. And, and we're talking about the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture, and we're, we're talking about things that are, are pretty theologically heavy. Uh, but that's what sharpens us. It makes us think about it and talk about it so that if somebody comes up to us, we can say something at least intelligible, at least sensible about it. But if you don't put it in, it's not going to be able to come out. you got to put it in for it to come out. And that's what he's saying. Our speech needs to be gracious. Our speech needs to be filled with uh, ways to let people know about Jesus Christ. Uh, let, let's turn to 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, and we'll kind of close here. Um, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse six, 15. And it says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense, that word apologia, to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. That's how we need to do it. We need to get this in us so that we're always ready to give a defense for why we believe what we believe. You know, why are you so happy? What, you know, why, why are you so, you've got lupus, you've got fibromyalgia. Why do you smile all the time? You don't have enough money. You don't, can't pay your rent. Why are you smiling? Because God's in control. God's in control. God's going to take us through whatever difficulty we're facing. We just need to come into him. We need to come to him. And that's how we redeem the time. We redeem the time. We only have a little bit of time. There's, there's, I'm finding out there's less time now than there ever was. My birthday was last week, 64. When I was 64? No. Anyway. 
I don't have that much more time. And so I want to make the most of every opportunity. Don't you? Let's make the most of every opportunity by being devoted to prayer. Let's make the most of every opportunity by walking in wisdom. Let's make the most of every opportunity by having gracious speech, by filling ourselves with the word of God, filling to overflowing, so that you know when people bump into you, you you've got a defense for the gospel. You can answer their questions. You can bring them to Christ. We need to be ready for that. Amen? Let's, let's pray.